Thank you for Treason by Godfrey Trees, read by Amy Zuck on Anchor from Grandma's Bookshelf. Chapter 1. Dawn is Dangerous I asked, Won't we take the pistol? Or anyhow, the long, motorous-looking pike which has hung across our broad kitchen chimney ever since I can remember. I was disappointed when my father whispered no, and more than disappointed, in fact, I felt mad. When Tom said, in that sneering, superior way that elder brothers have, "'What do you think this is, kid? A raid against the Scots? Or do you fancy we're marching against the Spaniards?' I was glad it was pitch dark in the kitchen while we stood whispering. There wasn't a glimmer from the fire, though that fire has never gone out in my lifetime, nor for a few years before that. But as usual, Mother had covered it with slabs of black, damp peat before we went to bed, and it wouldn't show a gleam till morning.' when one poke would stir into a cheerful blaze. I was glad it was dark, so Tom couldn't see my face. I was getting tired of the way he was making fun of me. Why shouldn't we go armed? There was danger in what we had decided to do. Otherwise, why were we creeping out of the house in the middle of the night, like foxes round a sheep pen? I'll leave the boy alone, said my father in his deep whisper. No more words till we clear the home, or we'll be waking your mother and the girls. "'Doesn't mother?' I began. "'Shh!' said Tom importantly, like the beetle in the church on Sundays. I had the satisfaction of topping his shin as we groped our way through the door, and he don't say a word. He was only sixteen, after all, and Dad would have leathered him as readily as he would me, if need arose. It was darker when we got outside. The full moon had risen now above the crest of the fells, and all the upper air was bright, though our valley was still like a pool of darkness.' The silver light slanted across the valley, high above our heads, and struck the wild precipices of Blancathra Mountain, showing up the black gullies as though their shadows were splashed on with ink. Every minute, as the moon climbed higher, the shadow lines dropped a little down the mountainside, like water ebbing away, and I knew that by the time we got to Sir Philip's wall, there would be ample light for what we had to do. The dog rose silently from the threshold as we stepped into the soft midsummer air. Not a bark, not a growl. He knew our steps. My father hesitated, then grunted something, and Snap's tail drooped. He gave a long, soft sigh and curled up again, burying his nose in his bushy tail. If Snap had gone with us that night, as he wanted to, I should never have come into the peril of death, or this story would never have been told. "'but it's no good crying over spilled milk, "'and perhaps it wasn't such a bad thing after all. "'We walked down in single file, without speaking a word. "'There's a stream at the bottom, Becks we call them in Cumberland, "'and you cross it by a flat granite slab, "'which in winter are often under water, "'though on a July night like that "'they stood a foot clear of the frothy surface. "'When we got that far, "'we knew the rush and the gurgle of the beck "'would drown our voices, "'so we could talk without whispering.' "'Your mother would only worry,' said my father. "'In any case, the fewer who know about tonight's work, the better. "'Then, if questions are asked, the fewer lies will need to be told.' "'I felt rather pleased when he said that, about the fewer who know, the better. "'Though I was only fourteen, I had been counted in with the men. "'They could say what they liked, but there was a certain amount of danger. "'Sir Philip was a bad enemy to cross, "'though up at that time none of us knew just how bad an enemy he could be.' Anyhow, it doesn't do to believe my father always when he says a thing isn't dangerous. See him going up to Craig to rescue a stranded sheep. 
see him squaring up to some drunken German miner in Kenswick Market's place, some fellow twice his size, jabbering his foreign lingo and waving a great dagger like as not. When you see my father's red beard jut out a shade more boldly than usual, and when you hear him chuckle down in his broad chest and murmur, I'm all right, leave this to me, there's no danger. Oh, then you can get ready for some real excitement. Nothing should have happened that night. The secret had been well kept. Not even Tom knew what was in the wind till my father roused us just after midnight, telling us to take our clogs in our hands and creep downstairs. But we guessed at once what it was all about. We'd been a happy enough family in our valley, till young Sir Philip Morton had inherited his grandfather's estate a couple years before. Brownsrigs, Bells, Atkinsons, Hudsons, Cockbanes. We're all old farming families. We'd kept our sheep on the fell since Doomsday Book or the founding of Rome, or, for all I know, since the flood itself. We held our lands directly from the crown, and all the rent we paid was to fight the Scots if they ever came over. We weren't gentry. We were yeomen. Statesmen, or statesmen, we called ourselves, up there. But we're independent people, not caring much for man or devil. Certainly we didn't care anything for a young knight who put a scent on his handkerchief and didn't know one end of a Hudswick sheep from another. But Sir Philip soon showed us he wasn't a soft young man. In fact, he was extremely hard. We were sorry for the lowland farmers who rented lawns directly from him, for their rents began to go up like rockets. Then he turned his attention to us. He couldn't hit us so easily, but there was one way. Down in the valley by the river, the meadows have been common land since time immemorial. I don't say they belong to nobody. They belong to us. Browns, rigs, and bells, and the rest of the families who have farmed Lunsdale all these hundreds of years. And heaven help the man who puts a stone wall around them and calls them his, even if he has money and men in livery, and a sir in front of his name. But that's what Sir Philip did that summer. His men came one day at dawn and started at the job. Most of our men were away up the fells. I was off to school at Kenswick myself, and when Mr. Atkinson went down to warn them off, they threatened to throw the poor old man into the Greta. So the wall was done, almost, before our people had time to turn around and discuss the matter. They complained afterwards, of course, but a late complaint is like cold porridge. Precious little use. Sir Philip snapped his fingers at us, asked us where our title deeds were, waved a roll of yellow Latin documents, which might have meant anything, and challenged us to take the matter to court. No one wanted to do that. We hadn't much money for lawyers, and we didn't trust them either. Besides, said my father, why go cap in hand to a bunch of judges to beg back the land which was ours and always had been? That was why that night the day was full of moving shadows. From every farmstead, the men and boys were marching down to the meeting place, and the meeting place was Sir Philip Morton's wall. It shone white and new in the moonlight, which by now had slanted down far enough to reach it. You could see the faces of the waiting men, too, white and drained of their usual readiness. Their teeth flashed as they greeted us with a laugh and a word. There, it was almost like a meeting to hunt foxes, only there was no hounds. My father cocked his eye at the moon, now sailing as serenely as a golden hind across the great expanse of the sky. Just nice time we've got, friends, before morning. Now, before we set to work, let me remind the young'uns, special, what we're decided to do. We all clustered round, and 
He made us all swear to a solemn oath. We'd tell no one a single word about the night's doings. Sir Philip could do nothing to the whole village, but if he got proof against one or two individual men, he'd try to get his revenge on them. All stand together and keep mum, my father ended. With that, he spat on his hands very deliberately, strode up to the wall, and pushed at the top row. I shall never forget the sound as the small flat slabs rattled and clanked to the ground. The die was cast. Then we all set to work with a will to throw down Sir Philip's wonderful wall. It was a dry wall, of course, such as we build in our part of the world when we want to make a pen for sheep. There was no mortar binding the rough stones together. They were fitted carefully. It's a real craft, building those walls. And at proper intervals, you put in binding stones of the right size and shape to hold the lot in place. A well-built wall can stand the winter gales and the height of great snowdrift. The walls my granddad built under Blancathra will be standing long after I'm dead and gone. Sir Phillips won't, though. There must have been thirty or forty of us out there that night. We all walked as if it was haymaking time, and a thunderstorm coming up from the Derwent waterway. My own hands were soon bleeding. I'd torn a nail on the rough stones. You never heard such a bump and a clatter as that wall came down, all along the line. It was a great game for us all, knocking it over in heaps. Even the older men were laughing like boys in school. Here, Peter, my father said, run the road, that's a good lad, and keep an eye open for anyone coming. Mr. Bell's a wee bit nervous. He thinks we ought to have a scout on the watch. Oh, what does he think this is? I said, imitating Tarn's voice. A <laughs> raid against the Scots. <laughs> all the same, I wasn't sorry to go. My hands were hurting, and knocking a wall down gets monotonous after a half an hour. I walked up from the river to the road. I could see a goodish way towards Kenswick. The road wound white and bright, except for where the moonbeams were broken by a black clump of oak or ash or birch. I couldn't see so far to Penrith, for there was a bend hiding the distance. I walked there and looked eastward. Now I could see a clear mile or two of the road climbing up the hem of the Ben Cathra, which I still think is the noblest mountain in the world. I ought to have stayed at that bend, for... It was that way that Sir Philip Moulton's new manor-house stood, but I could see the moonlight flashing on its wonderful glass windows. It was everybody three miles away. But I wanted to stay where I could hear the others and hear the jokes they shouted at one another and watch that wonderful wall come down as though it was the rampart of Jericho itself. So after one glance, to make sure that there was no living soul on the road to eastward, which was about as much use as a silk slipper in a snowstorm, I turned and walked back. Soldiers say that dawn is a dangerous time. I've heard that from men who have fought in Ireland, in the low counties, and the streaming forests of the Spanish main. It's a time when the sentries get slack and their eyelids droop, and a wise enemy chooses his moment to launch a surprise attack. I was getting towards dawn. The moon would soon be down. The rich blue cavalier was draining out of the eastern sky, and a mist was coming up from the meadows. So I could only see the heads and the shoulders of the man standing in that long line, each a few paces from his neighbor. High above us, the mountain mists were drawn close around the peaks like the curtains of a four-posted bed. The wall was so low I could no longer see it, but I saw young Dick Hudson jump over it with a cry of derision, and I thought of that story we read in the old histories of Rome, of how Remus jumped scornfully over the low wall of the city. Romulus killed him, and I expect Sir Philip would have cheerfully killed Dick Hudson if he had seen him at that moment. But Sir Philip wasn't there, and he'd never know. 
When people asked who had overthrown that wall, we are all going to say that it must be the work of the devil. The devil has such a great reputation for destroying what honest men would be glad to see out of the way. So the dawn drew near. The danger, too, if it only known it. Not been so occupied in watching them scout to the last of the stones right and left in the long wet grass. I felt rather than heard the coming of the horsemen. They weren't riding the sun-baked earth and the rock of the road itself. They galloped almost silently along the green verge, so that there was no loud ring of hoofs to set the valley echoing from fell to fell, but only a dull, regular vibration. I wasn't aware of them till they swept around the bend, and not a hundred yards from where I'd been standing. As Sir Philip in front, I knew him by his grey mount. There was a dozen or more behind him, strung out from head to tail, head to tail, and every rider with a sword or pistol or both. I gaped at them for a long, half second. I was so dumbfounded. Then as my big mouth was conveniently open, I stuck in two fingers and whistled. That set the echoes going all right. It was every man for himself then. Lucky for me. There's plenty of rocks heaped up by the steep hillside above the road, and once among them, I should be safe. I skipped into the shelter just before the cavalcade reached me. Then I was tempted by some devil I couldn't resist. I turned round, with a piece of rock in my fist, and shied it straight towards Sir Philip. I don't think it touched either man or horse, they're travelling too fast, but it made the horse shy, and threw the men behind into temporary confusion. That's one of them, sir, a man shouted and flung up his pistol. The muzzle flamed in the twilight, and it was a wonder my story didn't finish there and then. I felt the bullet whiz through my hair, which was standing on end, I expect, for I'd never been fired at before. I'm not exaggerating. The cap was blown clean from my head and fell somewhere among the rocks, where I'd neither time nor inclination to stay and look for it. Instead, I hurried up that mountain as though all the hounds of Cumberland were trailing me. Only when my heart felt as though it would burst through my skin did I drop breathless on my belly, on an overhanging slab of granite, and looked back into the valley. Of my brother and father and the neighbors, there wasn't a sign. They'd vanished like June snow. The daylight, growing every moment, showed only Sir Philip and his servants, clustered glumly around the ruins of the wall. I slept home by a roundabout way. I shall always remember that summer morning, with the sun bounding up between the great mel and the great dod, and the wild roses coming out in the greta, than the hay that had been cut yesterday so rich and scented on the air. I enjoyed it special, because if that bullet had been an inch or two lower, I should never have seen the sun rise over Lunsdale again. I never thought, as I jumped the beck and went up to our house, that it would be a many long day before I did see it again. To tell you the truth, I was thinking mainly of breakfast.